Hi, everybody. Great to be with you. Michael Millerman here. I hope you had a fantastic new year and now you are really into it. January 3rd. Hopefully things are going well. If any of you made New Year's resolutions, then uh, feel free to share them here in the chat. One famous podcaster, Lex Friedman, did say some New Year's resolutions on December 27th that he was making. Write, edit, delete some code, publish a couple of technical papers. You see some fitness goals here, people he wanted to interview. But it's this one right here, read a classic book a week that caused a little online scandal. Those happen often enough, you know. And as uh, the online professor, the actual online professor said here, 2023 begins with the question of the great books. And that's because when Lex Friedman said that he's got a New Year's resolution to read a classic book a week, and he posted his list, a lot of people had a lot of questions about this list and about whether it's possible and desirable and intelligent to read books in this way. You know, 100 books I'm going to read this year, one a week. I want to know what's on your reading list. What do you think about the books that are on Lex Friedman's reading list? And why in the world did this list cause such a little scandal with uh, Taleb, uh, Nassim, and uh, um, Jordan Peterson, and many other people either kicking uh, dirt in Lex Friedman's face or, on the other hand, holding him up by the hand and saying, great list, like Elon Musk did. Uh, let's see, what's the deal with this list? Why is this a problem, in your opinion and other people's opinions? I'm reading a book a week in 2023, classic, sci-fi, nonfiction, or anything people highly recommend. I'll keep adjusting the list so it's not the final version. Start on Monday, done by Sunday. Might make low-key videos of takeaways. I've done that with books, you know, on Heidegger that I share with you here sometimes. If you want to read along, the current list is here, lexfriedman.com slash reading list. So let's see. As I go through this, we don't necessarily have to go through the whole 100, but take a look, see what's on here. What deserves to be on a reading list? What's completely crazy? What would you have put on? What would you have left off? But it's not just the list. Again, it's like he posts here. A bunch of folks mocked me for including, quote unquote, basic books in my reading list. Orwell, Camus, Dostoevsky, Hess, Sermon S. I picked many books that I love and have reread multiple times. They're not basic. They're profound. You know, maybe something like The Little Prince. In 2023, I hope for less mocking and more celebrating. Less mocking, more learning, etc. But I'll tell you, the people on my timeline ripped into this list, uh, really piled on and said that, He's, uh, let me see here. I think you see, um, <laughs> I saw some other side comments here about an interview with AOC and Elon, but people were saying, oh, how could you not already have read these books? Like, don't people read them in high school? Aren't you supposed to be some super smart guy? And you're telling me you've never read, you know, on the road. Then you read that when you're 15. Other people were saying, oh, this is so ridiculous. Like he's going to read great books like Dostoevsky's brothers Karamazov in a week what could you possibly get out of it doing it that way so I don't know I wanted to ask you have you ever tried to read great books just to have some familiarity with them just to have some sense of what's going on in them you know there's a difference between your first exposure to a book maybe you go through it more or less superficially but at least you get some touch points some points of reference like watching I don't know the trailer to a movie so to speak and you know you can go back and you can study it in detail. So let's see. What what should he already have read in your opinion? Or you know what have you already read on this list? Like Another thing is a lot of these books are classical points of reference for contemporary 
uh, conversations, you know, Animal Farm, 1984, Marcus Aurelius, Stoic Self-Control, uh, Brave New World. And even if you're not doing like, you know, graduate level study of them, or if you didn't read them in high school or whatever the case is, would it really kill you to have some familiarity? But I'll say this one right here, nobody has a problem with reading The Little Prince in a week, I think. I'll probably read it in a day. I'll probably read it several times in a day. And it's worth rereading because it's a great book. But uh, a lot of people had an issue with this one right here. Brothers Karamazov in a week. A lot of people said, nah, it's not going to happen. You know, in my opinion, though, if you're going through this list, you don't need a week for Animal Farm, do you? You don't need a week for some of these other books. And maybe you bank enough time, you know, by the time you get down to Dostoevsky, that, okay, this took you half a week, half a week, half a week, half a week. By the time you get down to Brothers Karamazov, you have banked, I don't know, three or four weeks. But, yeah, such a, okay, the first of many scandals to come this year, I'm sure. The first of many scandals to come, the book list. I actually want to click over to the link because this is a, just a small list. Let's get the big list. Uh, and let's go through this. Is this a reasonable, hey, listen, my, my thought, I'll tell you, I didn't like all the instant criticism of this list because what would you rather do? Commit to reading 100 great books in a year? And then have some sort of plan to follow through on that commitment. A plan that may not work, may not be perfect, may need some adjusting. Or have no resolution to read good books. No list of the books you'd like to get to. No plan to read them. No accountability. No, no promise that you're going to share your process and your progress. And then what? You just coast and coast and coast and snipe like a cynic. Until by the end of the year, I don't know, you can feel better than somebody who committed to reading books publicly because you have this supercilious perspective that, oh, I read those in high school. Oh, you know, I would never take a week to read that. I don't know. Some people I like took that position. I understand. You know, I have some books behind me here. And I wouldn't necessarily tell people that they'll get the most out of them if they try to read them in a week. I wouldn't recommend doing Plato's Republic in a week. When I taught that in my seminar, platocourse.com, we took 10 weeks, one for each of the books of the Republic. And I would say that we barely scratched the surface of the book doing it that way. But again, you know, what are you going to tell someone? Don't make a list. Don't make a plan. Don't make a commitment. It's kind of crazy, but let's see how he put this out. So I set the goal of reading or rereading. So all the people who were like, oh, I can't believe you didn't read this in high school. Well, He's rereading some of these books, okay? I set the goal of reading or rereading on average a book a week in 2023. By the way, did anybody else make a New Year's resolution of reading? And how did you structure that resolution? Like, oh, this year I'm going to read Homer, Homer's Iliad. Or this year I'm going to read the Bible. You know, maybe oh, someone's going to read the whole year. By the end of the year, they will have read the Bible. So if you made some sort of reading plans, post them and see, let other people see how you scheduled yours. Lex Friedman said, I set the goal of reading or rereading on average a book a week in 2023. That's another one. Does it mean he's going to read Brothers Karamazov in exactly a week? No. Maybe that one takes four weeks. Classic science, nonfiction, or anything people highly recommend. Some are short stories. Some are long books. I try to alternate very short books with long ones. Not a bad idea. Actually, suggestions. The following list is not final until the week of the book. I'll keep adjusting the list based on suggestions and discussions. He's got to be careful because if you open the door to suggestions and discussions, next thing you know, your vote is called Bodie McBoatface. And uh, people will lead you over a cliff just to uh, watch you fall. Here are direct links to posts about this on social media. Okay, so he's doing all the platforms. 
By the way, obviously a great way for a guy with millions and millions of followers to get all kinds of engagement uh, and uh, to hack the algorithm. Always a very uh, important thing for people who are making their living uh, operating on social media. By the way, you know, here I am doing a video about Lex Friedman's reading list, also trying to hack the algorithm so that uh, some percentage of you goes to millermanschool.com and sees the books that I teach. But anyway, I think Reddit and Twitter is probably the best place to make suggestions and do discussions. Schedule. The schedule below is loose since some stories books take one to two hours. Like we said, right? You're not going to spend a week reading The Little Prince. And some take 40 hours to read, not counting the time to pause, think, and write down notes. For sure, some of these books, you know, at least uh, for every hour you spend reading, you should probably spend several hours thinking. I both, write, I both read and listen to audiobook versions. So someone here asked in the uh, chat, can I do my thing right here? Yeah, someone said, is he going to read them or listen to them on audiobook? So he's going to do uh, both. How do I get that off screen? Okay. So both listening and um, reading. He's got a Google sheet with the full list of books he's considering, including the estimate hours it takes to read the book. Man, I don't know. If you guys do New Year's resolutions and you plan them out in so much detail, I would guess you're more likely to succeed with your resolutions and with your goals and with your projects when you plan them out this meticulously. It's not really my style. I know it rubs people the wrong way. They think of it as like a grind set mind, uh, like a grind set mindset mentality. Like I'm going to walk 20,000 steps today. I'm going to read 5,000 pages. I'm going to increase my this by that percent. They're like, where's the poetry in that? Where's the artistry in that? Where's the music and the beauty in that? But okay, the list as it actually stands. 1984, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Brave New World. The first passage, you know, I have family members who grew up in the Soviet Union. And they, like maybe you know people like this or you yourself are like this. They had to memorize lines of um, Pushkin's, um, Pushkin's poetry when they were in school. And you know, when you're sitting around drinking or when you're sitting around at the dinner table or having a cigar on the balcony, they can just go into the recital of uh, you know, Yevgeny Onegin and do whatever, a thousand lines of it, because that's what they memorized when they were young. So I never did that with poetry. I never did that with books. But the first passage of literature that I ever did memorize was from Brave New World. Would you like to hear it? It goes like this. By the way, about the Can Opener podcast, ask the very fair question. Who really cares what Lex is reading, to be honest? It's, it's a completely fair question. Like, who cares? You know, Lex Friedman had a list of books. What's the big deal? But I thought we'd use it as a springboard, you know, for people to share what they're reading, to, to judge and to estimate and to think about what books are worth reading. Is this the right way to read them? So it's not really about, you know, Lex in particular choosing or not choosing to do this, although he's getting some flack online in general like who is this guy where did he come from how did he become so popular um but it's less about him in particular and more about the issue of what books should we be reading and uh i i don't like it when i see people make a list of like the 100 best books you have to read this year and they're all some sort of pop business psychology trash but i recognize that that's also my own limitation because some of those books it's not like i've read them and can say in each case that they're horrible you know maybe there's some interesting the psychological research in those books about what people do and why they do it. I, as you know, have a strong predisposition towards like read Plato, read Heidegger, read Aristotle, read Nietzsche, read the classics of political philosophy. But that's also my tunnel vision. You know, each of us don't want to take your tunnel vision for the, uh, for the, for the truth in the final instance. Okay. So the passage in brave new world that I memorized when I was like 12 years old, 
or however old, goes like this. We live together, we act on and react to one another, but always and in all circumstances we are by ourselves. The martyrs walk hand in hand into the arena, they are crucified alone. Desperately, lovers try to fuse their isolated ecstasies into a single self-transcendence in vain. By its very nature, all embodied souls are doomed to enjoy and suffer in solitude. Why I liked that passage, why I decided to memorize it, what I think about it now, I'll spare you all of those details, but uh, that's from Brave New World, which as you can see, I only read it when I was 12 or whatever because I had an older brother and an older sister and they had these books kicking around you know, stranger meditations on the road. Uh, this I've never read, not much science fiction on my list, to tell you the truth. I've always gone in a different direction. Okay, so no science fiction on my list. Old Man in the Sea, I personally haven't read. Okay, a lot of these, by the way, where people are like, I can't believe you didn't read it before you got out of your uh, cradle. Well, that's not true for everybody. Okay, Frankenstein, obviously, Dune, I know a lot of people talk about it, but the people who talk about it, they seem kind of nerdy and never seen it, never watched it, don't really know what all the fuss is about. Herman Hess, any Herman Hess fans here? Uh, the Glass Bead Game. Those of you who follow me from my work on Alexander Dugan, you know he's written something about the Glass Bead Game that's worth looking into. This obviously is the, you know, this is the big one. This is the beauty. This is the contender for one of the best ever. And I just want to say in passing here, for those of you who know Brothers Karamazov or who don't know and want just one little comment in passing, there's a character there whose name is uh, Alyosha, like this in the chat. And at one point I read, and I think from what I can tell, you can find versions of this story that tell it, yeah, that's actually what it is. He's based on a character named Vladimir Solovyov. Uh, a Russian philosopher who wrote books like uh, The Meaning of Love, which I'll put there in the chat, and the one that I first read before I knew there was a connection, lectures on, um, has two versions of it, depending on, I mean, two translations of the title in English. So there's lectures on God-manhood, that's one translation, and there's lectures on divine humanity. Yeah, lectures on divine humanity. That's Vladimir Solovyov, the Russian philosopher who died in 1900, same year that Nietzsche died. I always thought it's nice to compare you know, how do you think about Western philosophy and Russian philosophy? Take the fact that two great thinkers, Nietzsche and Solovyov, died in 1900 and try to make sense of the difference between the two of them. And that is a project that leads you in part to Brothers Karamazov because the character Alyosha is based on this Russian philosopher, Vladimir Solovyov. Uh, if you Google Vladimir Solovyov, you might find the contemporary Putin apologist media figure. That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the older philosopher. So Brothers Karamazov and Back, uh, back behind me on the shelf somewhere, I have a book which is just... As a rule, I'm not a big fan of uh, isolated excerpts from books. I know you should read the whole book because the isolated excerpt is situated in a larger work that provides meaning and context and you can't necessarily do that kind of isolation. But uh, here is an isolated part of Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov on the Grand Inquisitor. So if you wanted to just, you know, imagine someone had on their list, listen, I'm not going to read the Brothers Karamazov. It's like a million pages. I don't have the time for it, but I am going to just pull out this passage on the Grand Inquisitor and hopefully get something out of the isolated passage. Or if someone's like, man, I, you know, I hear that Plato's Republic is an amazing book. It is, platocourse.com. But I can't read the whole book, but I know there's this allegory of the cave everybody's talking about. 
Maybe I'll just zoom in on the allegory of the cave. So you could do that. That's not so bad, is it? Okay, Little Prince. Pretty, pretty good. Highly recommended reading right here. Fight Club. Saw the movie, didn't, didn't read the book. Uh, what's this? Player of Games, Ian Banks. Is that worth reading? Is that on someone's list? What's that all about? Uh, never heard of the book. Never heard of the author. So here's an example. Like if a lot of people are recommending a book, you see it on other people's lists. And like me, you've never heard of it. Who's Ian Banks? What's Player of Games? Would it be so bad to dedicate, a, you know, put it on your list, dedicate a little bit of time to it, see what all the fuss is about? Uh, this one, Sapiens, I've heard nothing but bad things about. Man's Search for Meaning, probably heard nothing but good things about. So let's see, what would you put on this list? This is looks, looks like he's got half the year planned right here. Obviously, you know, it pains you to see no, no Plato on the list, no Nietzsche on the list. Not that he hasn't read them. Maybe he has. Let's see what do we have down here. James Joyce. Oh, I got to give a shout out. Uh, I interviewed this person on my channel before. Hayakawa. Kenji Hayakawa. Friend of mine back from the school days. Does a lot of work on James Joyce. Or has like a James Joyce uh, thing in Ireland where he walks people through all of the nice places that James Joyce wrote uh, about. So James Joyce. I haven't read any James Joyce. You know what? Tell me if you relate to this, this situation that I'm in. I think a lot of this has to do with like personality, proclivity, personal characteristics, things like that. I've never really myself been able to get into literature. I mean, as a distinct thing from philosophy, where you have like this person and their brother and their sister and their I dated this person. And then, you know, all of the intricacies of the story of people's lives, which I would characterize as literature versus things like Plato, Aristotle, Nietzsche, Heidegger, where it's not really about people and their histories. It's concepts, ideas, notions, inquiries, arguments, clarifications, analysis. I can remember probably every book of philosophy I've ever read, like it's there in front of me, and I forget a person's name in a book of literature the minute I, uh, the minute I read it. It's pretty hard to follow along. Other people have the exact opposite problem. You can remember everybody's names and all the stories and all the details that they went through, but have a very hard time following along with quote-unquote abstract uh, thinking. Okay, five rings, four agreements, and Rand. Another thing, you know, a lot of people are dismissive, I think, towards some books. Like, oh, I can't believe you read... Okay, I've been through it with Dugan, right? I can't believe you read Dugan, that guy's a fascist. I can't believe you read Anne Rand. She's an XYZ. Oh, I can't believe you read blah, blah, blah. He's so and such and such. And you know... At that way of discouraging people from reading by like slapping a label on something and making it forbidden, it's lazy and it excuses a person of actually having to use their own uh, their own judgment. So I don't mind, you know, when you see names on here that maybe automatically you like or dislike, it's like, dude, just let let a guy read a book and figure out for himself if it's valuable. <laughs> I'll give you an embarrassing example for me. Again, it's embarrassing because socially this guy may not have the greatest reputation. But on the other side of things, I decided to look at it myself and I'm enjoying it. Online internet marketer named Ty Lopez. People are like, oh, that guy's a that guy's a slimy internet marketer, online scammer dude who just posts pictures of himself with Lamborghinis. But he had a sale on his courses over the holidays. I bought it because I like to learn from people who have been successful, see if there's something that they have to offer. And uh, for me, it was well worth the money. So you never know. You have to make your own judgment here. The Prince by Machiavelli. Incidentally, one of the courses I'm going to have in the school in 2023, if all goes well, is this book right here. Definitely belongs on the curriculum for a study of the history of political philosophy. And uh, 
If you've ever read Machiavelli and you're looking for the next step, I recommend Leo Strauss's thoughts on Machiavelli. That'll really get you going somewhere. Okay, Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness, Notes from the Underground. What else do we have on this list? And again, did this deserve the crazy online scandal that it got where people were pretty, like some well-known people insulted Lex publicly as like a total idiot for this list. Uh, and then some of them had to backtrack and apologize and say, wow, we were sort of out of line. You know, we jumped on the bandwagon of um, smashing you for your, uh, for your reading list. It's fascinating to me. You know, it is fascinating to me. Somebody publicly announces that he wants to read and he's got a list of books that aren't trash. Maybe there's some that you don't agree with, but okay, the books are like, what was his criterion again, right? Uh, classic science, nonfiction, some highly recommended books. You could imagine a you can imagine a list that's much worse, I think. So a high profile figure makes a list of books that he's going to read. He's got a plan. He's got accountability. You know, he's built into the fact that some he'll read quickly, some he'll read over more time. It's aspirational. Maybe it inspires other people to read some of these books who wouldn't have done so otherwise. And there was such a pylon. It was such a pylon. Um, and you see there are some people in the chat here who agree. The book is, the, the list is basic, but Lex is basic. Lex should be humiliated. The public is the most boring man in the world. The books are trash. So, and then you have other people saying, pretty good list. That's why I thought, you know, I don't necessarily want to always jump and do videos on, you know, the latest uh, internet scandal. You know, I like reading articles here and talking about uh, what's going on and thinking about foreign policy and stuff like that. But this intrigued me. I saw an opportunity and it intrigued me. What else have we read here or not read? Again, no science fiction on my list. Okay, none of that, none of that. This is science fiction too, right? Childhood, childhood's end. Uh, Beyond Good and Evil, there you go. So there's some Nietzsche on the list. And uh, Leo Strauss, by the way, has an essay on Beyond Good and Evil called, I think, Notes on Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil. So if you're looking for a Straussian guide to Nietzsche. And another book that I would recommend, just in connection with Nietzsche and Strauss, it's called Strauss and Nietzsche by Lawrence Lampert. Here's his last name in the chat. You see this, again, it shows you how one-sided my reading list is. Nietzsche, Plato, but I, I haven't read a lot of these myself. I haven't read Conrad. Don't even know who this is. This guy's name looks familiar. This we read in high school. Alchemist, I remember liking. Uh, in a recent live stream, I told a little story. I'm pretty sure that it's a short story by Paolo uh, Coelho. And it's the... Um, let me just... Give me one second here. I want to pause on that guy. And it's called like Paolo Coelho. Uh, the King and the Spoon or something. I really like this story. I wonder whether we could read it right now just for fun. What do you think? Should we do one one story from our reading list? Right. Yeah. So this is uh, Paolo Coelho. Is that how you say his name? Paolo Coelho. He's got this short story. I don't know. It must be in one of his books because I remember reading it in one of his books. And it's the parable of uh, two drops of oil. The two drops of oil. So if you haven't heard me mention this in a previous live stream and if you've never read it and if it doesn't ring any bells, look it up. Paolo Coelho, Two Drops of Oil. I think it's a wise little parable. I, I think I won't read it right now unless there's like massive demand or something like that. Where's that reading list? Okay, what else do we have on here? On Writing by Stephen King. I find Stephen King so obnoxious on Twitter that I wouldn't necessarily want to see what he has to say about writing. But that's, again, we each have our own version here of tunnel vision, what we would do and what we wouldn't do. 
Uh, where were we on this list? Uh, let's go down. Oh, Right at the bottom, you can't see it because I've got it cut off from the screen that I'm sharing. There's also The Idiot by Dostoevsky, Gödel Escher Bach by Hofstadter, Stranger in a Strange Land, Three Body Problem, and then you can start seeing the list. So I don't know. Let's put it this way. What if you had a choice? Okay, you had a year. What would be better? And for whom would it be better? And why would it be better? Scenario A, imagine he accomplishes this. You have 100 books, you have 100 weeks, and you become familiar with all of these different authors and all of these different topics, all of these different points of cultural reference like Fight Club. Some old, some new, some short, some long, some science fiction, some whatever else. That's option number one. And by the end of the year, this is the list of books that you've read. And by contrast, option two, you've read five books, not a hundred, five. Five books of world historical importance, super foundational. I'm not going to say which five they might be or which four or which three, but some really short list of fundamental books and you read them. You studied them, you read them, you read the commentaries on them, you got into them, you argued about them, wrote about them, pondered them, dreamt about them, were tormented by them. And by the end of the year, they've worked their way into your soul. Why is one of those two better or worse for whom is one of those two better or worse? Can they coexist? Can you get this broad familiarity with all of the books that people talk about at the same time as you go deep, really deep into one or two books? I remember Leo Strauss. Those of you who don't know, Leo Strauss was a scholar of political science and political philosophy who moved from Germany around to some other places, ended up in America where he taught at the University of Chicago and elsewhere for a long time. He's a main point of reference for me. I always recommend him as a great guide through the history of political philosophy. That means through authors like Plato, Aristotle, Machiavelli, Nietzsche, and so on. And uh, at one point, Strauss, I don't remember. I tried to find it before this stream, but I couldn't remember where I saw it. He said something about the education of undergraduate students in political science. He said they read too many books. They read too much, not just books, articles, secondary sources, criticisms. He said... Undergraduate students read too much. He said, you know, they'd get a better education if for three years, I can't remember if he said one year or, th or two years or three years, okay, if he said this should be the bachelor's program or it should be like one year of it, I don't remember. But basically he said, students would learn much more if they carefully read three books, not a book a week, three books. Aristotle's Ethics, Aquinas, on natural law and Kant's um, groundwork of the metaphysics of morals. Three books, Aristotle, Aquinas, and Immanuel Kant. Why? Because those foundational thinkers, they lay the foundations for all the hundreds and thousands of books that could be written on their basis. But the foundations is where you get the deep, arguments, concepts, notions, ideas, debates, disputes. And if you can put all your attention on the tectonic plates and on the conflicts between them, 
then you'll understand sort of everything that arises later. You know, it's like the root and the branch. You could there are hundred branches, but there's one root. You know, so um, I always thought that Strauss maybe had a point there because one of the things that makes his commentaries on books, for example, like Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil, or like uh, Plato's Republic, or like some other things that aren't on this list, what makes it so profound is that you take two people, one of them, both of them have read the book, okay? Both of them have read the book, but one of them just sort of superficially soaked it in through some sort of uh, trivial osmosis, okay? Like, yeah, I've read it, I know it. Uh, the other one has actually studied it with care, with diligence, with a lot of intense attention. And the result on the other side of each person having read the book is night and day. Night and day. Strauss showed that. In his interpretations of Plato's dialogues, he showed that a superficial reading and a careful reading produce results that are night and day. So that's another thing. Like, what does it even mean to read a book? You listen to it, okay? Basically, you know, you learn enough that you can say, oh yeah, I read Siddhartha. That's something to do with Buddha. Oh yeah. I read Man's Search for Meaning. People who survived in the Holocaust were able to provide meaningful lives for themselves. Uh, I read On the Road by Jack Kerouac. He's a beatnik. You know, like, is that going to be the level of the takeaway? I read 1984. It's like surveillance state. You don't, you want to be left with points of, cultural points of reference, but you also don't want to, um, you don't want to, you know what I mean? Rip off an author and rip off a book shortchange them by getting like the worst not the worst but this you know what i'm saying like the cheapest possible version of it when potentially these books have so much more to offer so anyway that's uh that's his list like i said reading a book a week in 2023 lex friedman big scandal okay he was mocked for including basic books uh if you know lex friedman you're not surprised that in 2023 he hopes for less mocking and more celebrating haters gonna hate Again, I didn't think all the hate was justified, but I do think that it raises a lot of questions about what we should read, how we should read, whether it makes sense to make our lists like this, okay? And the big risk, as somebody who teaches books in the history of political philosophy, Plato's Republic, Aristotle's Politics, Nietzsche's Zarathustra, Heidegger's um, Being in Time, okay? I teach books in my online school, millermanschool.com, on this channel sometimes. So whenever I see lists where all the deep foundational texts are missing, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable at the thought that people are only ever reading airport-style entrepreneur books. My task is to flip to learn to see the value in those other books. Their task is to flip and see the value in slowly and carefully reading things like Nietzsche's Zarathustra and Plato's Republic over and over and over again. But yeah, I should have pulled up some of the threads here. Uh, you can see it on those threads where people were like, especially, okay, I have, I have a lot of right-wingers on my timeline because I did work on Dugan and on Schmidt and on Heidegger. And I'll tell you, the people who are like right-wing anti-liberals who are against the mainstream conservative establishment, not, like a lot of people don't like Lex, they see him soft and uh, they ripped into his list. Other people are like, you go, you know, it's great that you have a long list and that you're reading books. Those classics influenced so many great writers. Fantastic list. Uh, yeah. You have to see, I guess, what you think for yourselves. Like, someone asked me here in the chat, 
wait a minute, was there anything else here I wanted to show you? So obviously these are some select quantifiable goals. Yeah, 2023 begins with the question of the great books. I liked that because obviously the question of the great books is important. What's worth reading? We don't have time to read everything in our lives. So we actually have to pick what's worth your time. Uh, but at the same, you know, by the same token, reading broadly, reading widely, reading with some eclecticism and some dilettantism, that's also valuable. So you know what? Maybe I'll end the stream in a minute by reading the story. <coughs> Excuse me. But what I wanted to say was, um, what did I want to say? Oh, yeah. Somebody had, let's put, let's put something nice and simple on screen. How about, oh, let's keep this list on screen. Someone asked me, uh, where is it? How do I do that? Yeah. Someone asked me to share my five philosophical foundational books. Um, I don't have like a pre-prepared list, but Plato's Republic has to be on that list because I'm doing right now, okay, I have a course on Plato's Republic and I'm supplementing it right now with some bonus videos from this guy, Martin Heidegger. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he's one of the most famous philosophers in history and one of the most outstanding philosophers of the 20th century. And he influenced just about every other thinker who came after him. Hugely important, considered difficult, at times obscurantist. I've got several courses on him. I have a lot, do a lot of free videos on him because I think he's really worth understanding. So he has, a, I'll show you because I'm open to it. He's got an essay here. Can you see that? Let me put it nice and big. Uh, he's got an essay on Plato's doctrine of truth, which is a kind of commentary and interpretation of Plato's allegory of the cave. So why am I telling you that? Because you asked me about foundational texts. If you read Plato's Republic, which is where you'll find the allegory of the cave, among many other things, you get such a strong foundation because everybody's responding to Plato. Aristotle responds to Plato, Nietzsche responds to Plato, Heidegger responds to Plato. And it's impossible to understand the conversation that takes place among the great thinkers. You won't know what they're responding to. You won't be able to link, make the connections as well as you could if you have, let's say, Plato's Republic at least as a foundation. So I think you should read Plato for sure, more even more so than Aristotle. That would be uh, one of the key things on the list here of my five philosophical foundational texts. I do think that you should read Heidegger because in some sense, Plato is the beginning of our history of philosophy and in some sense, Heidegger is the end and the new beginning. So Plato should probably be on there. Heidegger should probably be on there. Uh, there are some questions because I learned something I learned from Leo Strauss that I didn't know before was just how important it is. So if imagine Plato. You want to study Plato. He writes about Socrates, among other characters but somehow Socrates is of particular importance to Plato but what's amazing if you don't know it is that Plato was not the only person to write about Socrates so there are two other people of great importance one is Aristophanes who has a play called the clouds in the clouds Socrates has a think tank that eventually gets burned to the ground so that's an important story about Socrates one that Plato references because Aristophanes's play about Socrates became part of the accusation that led to Socrates' death. When you maybe know, Socrates was like convicted by a jury of his Athenian peers and sentenced to death. And part of the accusation against him traces to this play by Aristophanes called The Clouds. So in a way, to understand the Republic and to understand Plato, it helps to have some background, at least to be aware that there's this other source on Socrates called Aristophanes. And then another guy who writes about Plato is called Xenophon. So 
if you're learning about Plato slash Socrates, it's worth triangulating Plato, Aristophanes, Xenophon. Then you really get Socrates into stark relief. But uh, I would I don't know that I would put them on my top five for like basic foundational stuff. Definitely Plato, definitely Heidegger, probably also Nietzsche. Um, Aristotle, I assume, would have to be there, maybe in Aquinas. So I have to think, but it all starts with Plato. And uh, I'm not doing a grifting here, but it all starts with Plato. And I think that you should know that the Republic is well worth your time. Uh, some questions here, whether Hegel is the end and everything else is just left versus right Hegelianism. Listen, Hegel is... All of the great philosophers in the history of philosophy deserve to be studied, not just as cultural museum pieces where you can say, oh yeah, I, read, I checked them off my list, but because they offer the most profound attempt to understand what it means to be, what it means to be human, what it means to be together in a political community. And if you don't want the superficial takes and you don't want the guesswork, you just want the foundations, then in some sense, all, all serious philosophers are, are serious to the extent that they're foundational, not just Hegel, but Kant, Descartes, we can go down the list. Uh, so I do think you should read Hegel. But if I had to recommend Hegel or Heidegger, I would probably recommend Heidegger. Okay, so that was to the question of what's on, uh, you know, what I consider foundational on my list. And if you're looking for a foundation, if you're looking for a guide to the foundational history of political philosophy and, and philosophy, I have to recommend, obviously, as always, the person who did the most for me, Leo Strauss. Uh, so, okay, listen, we've gone through some of this scandal. We've gone through the question of uh, what books should be on a list. Yeah, no um, no Julius Evola on Lex Friedman's list. He didn't have their, um, he didn't have their fascism viewed from the right. But I have a video on my channel if you want to learn more. And he also doesn't have, you know, in general, I think when people do these lists, well, look what he said as his criterion. Again, this isn't against Lex. I'm just using it as an opportunity to point something out. Uh, classics, sci-fi, nonfiction, or anything people highly recommend, there are going to be some sort of books that that filter, you know, that criterion. Like if you're trying to invest in a company, you're like, it should be making a million dollars a year and it should have this and that and that. It'll filter some things out that maybe were worth looking at. This too is going to filter some things out because some of the greatest books, they're not highly recommended by people in general. They're, you know, known by a small group of true book lovers uh, or lovers of wisdom. So no... No right-wing anti-liberalism on this list understood, you know, somehow rigorously. No Carl Schmitt, no Julius Evolo, no René Guénon. How can he not be reading the things that we think are important? No Dugan, no Strauss, no Plato, no Heidegger. How dare Lex Friedman not pick the books that I would have picked? Um, again, I do want to ask you this question, especially those of you who don't like, let's say don't like him, or don't like these books, think they're superficial, Think it's like, oh, how are you going to read a book a week? Like, give me a break with that nonsense. Isn't there something to be gained, actually something to be gained, by becoming roughly familiar with a broad set of books of cultural significance? I know that's not the Heideggerian way. That's not the Straussian way. That's not the deep thinker's way. But still, isn't there something to be said about having some familiarity, some points of reference, where at least you could know, oh, I want to revisit that. I want to go back to that. You know what? I read The Stranger briefly, really quickly, and it's grown on me. Like as I go through the world, I keep thinking about it. I'm not saying me, right? But someone might have that experience. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I briefly thumbed through The Art of War. And since then, it's like, it's all I can see is examples of it. You know, maybe I'll go back and reread it. So I don't think we should be overly 
tunnel vision, um, zealous defenders of our own way of reading, because I'm increasingly starting to think for myself at any rate, there is something to be said for reading a book that's not foundational and that you don't have to dedicate 10 years to or read until you die, but that still provides you with some insight, some formulations. I'm reading a book like that right now, uh, as a matter of fact, alongside the other books I read and teach, and it's not a total waste of time. So we went through this list. We saw these books. You can definitely comment what you like, what you don't like. Was the pylon legit or not? Why or why not? What are, you know, how should you read? Why would you read one way or another? So I'm going to stop the book thing there. But uh, is this short enough that I can? Yeah, there's this little short story I'm going to read. And that's how we're going to end. And you know what? Maybe it connects. Maybe it connects to what we've been discussing. So this is, um, this is Paolo Coelho. Kylo? Sorry, I don't know how to say it. The Two Drops of Oil. Give me one second here to drink my coffee and I'll read it. Somehow I have a feeling that this relates to our discussion directly. <clears throat> Can you see it on screen? Make sure. Yeah. A merchant sent his son to learn the secret of happiness from the wisest of men. The young man wandered through the desert for 40 days until he reached a beautiful castle at the top of a mountain. There lived the sage that the young man was looking for. However, instead of finding a holy man, our hero entered a room and saw a great deal of activity. Merchants coming and going, people chatting in the corners, a small orchestra playing sweet melodies. And there was a table laden with the most delectable dishes of that part of the world. The wise man talked to everybody, and the young man had to wait for two hours until it was time for his audience. The sage listened attentively to the reason for the boy's visit, but told him that at that moment he did not have the time to explain to him the secret of happiness. He suggested that the young man take a stroll around his palace and come back in two hours' time. However, I want to ask you a favor, he added, handing the boy a teaspoon, in which he poured two drops of oil. While you walk, carry this spoon and don't let the oil spill. The man began to climb up and down the palace staircases, always keeping his eyes fixed on the spoon. At the end of two hours, he returned to the presence of the wise man. So, asked the sage, did you see the Persian tapestries hanging in my dining room? Did you see the garden that the master of gardeners took 10 years to create? Did you notice the beautiful parchments in my library? Embarrassed, the young man confessed that he had seen nothing. His only concern was not to spill the drops of oil that the wise man had entrusted to him. So go back and see the wonders of my world, said the wise man. You can't trust the man if you don't know his house. Now, more at ease, the young man took the spoon and strolled again through the palace, this time paying attention to all the works of art that hung from the ceilings and walls. He saw the gardens, the mountains, all around the palace, the delicacy of the flowers, the taste with which each work of art was placed in its niche. Returning to the sage, he reported in detail all that he had seen. But where are the two drops of oil that I entrusted to you? Asked the sage. Looking down at the spoon, the young man realized that he had spilled the oil. Well, that is the only advice I have to give you, said the sage of sages. The secret of happiness lies in looking at all the wonders of the world and never forgetting the two drops of oil in the spoon. Okay, there you go. It's from the alchemist. I think that is wise and well said. 
And maybe the whole conversation about books also has to do with that kind of balance, making sure that we read the greatest books well. Those are the drops of oil in our spoon, the things that matter most and that are most foundational without um, ignoring or omitting through our tunnel vision all the wonders of the world. Well, at any rate, thanks for spending your time here. I hope you enjoyed this stream and uh, I wish you a very happy and well-read and satisfying 2023. Okay, may it bring you all the things that you hope for provided they're good. And I'll see you in the next video. Take care.